Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, I wonder, have you ever noticed the impact that movies can have on our society? You may know this classic, released in 1945, is Bambi. Now, this movie is credited as the first to have started conversations on conservation awareness. Now, these conversations were then continued and added upon by other animated films in decades to come, like Fern Gully, The Lorax, and Disney's WALL-E. Now, experts say that these movies began the emotional groundwork for environmental activism that has continued into our world 77 years after Bambi was first released. See, we've become better caretakers of this earth because many of us grew up watching these tales. Now, another movie which has an impact that far extended past the theater was this one. Top Gun is arguably one of the most successful films ever. It was released in 1986 with a production budget of only $15 million. But since then, it has grossed $357 million since the day that it came out. See, the impact on the box office was really significant. But even more so was the impact that happened the following year in the American Navy. You see, the number of recruits that signed up for the Navy the following year after Top Gun was released in theaters went up by 500%. 500% more individuals signed up for the Navy in one year because of one movie. Huge impact. And then finally, one of the most fascinating movies to impact our society, I think, would be this one, Supersize Me. Now, this was a 2004 documentary that featured a healthy individual who chose to eat nothing but McDonald's for 30 straight days. And he documents the drastic effect that it had on both his body and his mind in an attempt to showcase the negative impact the food industry has had on our society. But in the end of those 30 days, his medical team actually begged him to stop whatever it is he was doing in order to avoid serious health consequences. Now, this documentary, it came out with $11.5 million worldwide, but obviously that was much lower than Top Gun. Yet it took less time to measure the impact that this movie had on our society because McDonald's announced only six weeks later after it opened in the theaters that they were going to ditch their super-sized options and would be adding healthy menu items to their menu. Now, they did, in addition, deny that it had anything to do with, with the documentary, but the ripple effects, whether intentional or not, of this and all of the memorable films, really, are hard to deny. Each of them has had a lasting and notable impact 
on our society. And the same is true with our lives. It's often impossible to know what type of ripple effect will happen with a situation, with a conversation, with a moment, and how it will impact the future. Because it's usually not until much later in life, sometimes even decades, that we're able to see the impact. Now, we're in the middle of this teaching series called You Versus the Universe, and we've been taking a look at some of the lesser-known Bible characters and how they have impacted our world. Two weeks ago, Pastor Keith introduced us to the character of Deborah the Judge, one of the most influential people in all of Israel's history. And then last week, Pastor Matt introduced us to some of the coolest characters in the Bible, the Old Testament artist. And we discovered how God continues to use the arts to show himself to the world. And so today we're going to continue by looking at a character in the Bible that you probably haven't spent much time thinking about. Now you might recognize his name because this guy was connected to some pretty famous Bible characters. But I'm going to guess that his tale is a bit forgettable to a lot of us. In fact, I bet if I threw a pop quiz right now, and it only had one question, and it was this, who was Jesus' first disciple? Many of us might not be able to conjure up his name. See, if you've ever felt insignificant or unimportant, kind of like you were fading into the background, you are going to be able to relate to this character. So let's find out who we're talking about today and see if you can discover who our character is for today. Now, our story starts out in the New Testament, when we find a guy named John the Baptist walking into town with two of his disciples. Now, disciple is a really interesting word. We throw it around a lot in churches, but sometimes we don't define what it actually means. The word disciple in biblical times actually meant apprentice, apprentice or a student. And so if an individual was an apprentice or a disciple, it also meant that they were in the last phase of their Jewish education. Now, in those days, there were three levels to the Jewish education system. The first would happen, phase one, around five to ten years old, and it would happen in formal school. The kids would be taught from the scriptures. The second phase was the ages 10 to 13 years old. And in this second phase, they would focus on memorizing the scriptures. And at the end of the stage would be known as something that we call the bar mitzvah. And this would indicate that the student was old enough to now take on the responsibility of their own faith. Now, following this is what was phase three. And phase three would last somewhere between 13 and 30 plus years. And at, in phase three, what would happen was these students would become a disciple and they would attach themselves to a teacher or what they would call a rabbi. And these students would spend years with this teacher. They would travel with them, they would live with them. They would continue to learn, read the scriptures under the guidance of that teacher. And the goal of this phase was not only to glean the knowledge of their teacher, but more importantly, it was a chance for the student to actually become the teacher. And it wasn't a short phase. As you can see, it usually lasted until the student was about 30 years old and ready to become a teacher themselves. And so it's within this Jewish education model that our story takes place today. Now, John the Baptist is the teacher of these two disciples that he's walking into town with. Now, John the Baptist has a clear role in his life. 
His role is to encourage people to repent of their wrongdoings and prepare their hearts because the Messiah is coming just as God said he would. And so people have been responding to John the Baptist's message. And after they responded to his message, what he would do is he would baptize them in water. And this would symbolize for everyone else that these people's hearts had been changed, that they were now people of God, and they were stepping into obedience by being baptized. And as John traveled and shared this message, his disciples would also travel with him and they would assist him. Now, their roles were probably likely in the background. They probably prepped the food. They prepped the lodging. They would have been controlling the crowds that would gather and help organize the baptisms as they were happening. All the while, they'd be learning and imitating their teacher in every way. And so here we have John the Baptist and two of his disciples walking into town together. But it's been quite a week for them and quite a week for the community because just the day before, 30-year-old Jesus had showed up at one of these water baptism services. You see, for years, Jesus himself had been studying the scriptures and the time had now come for him to start his own season of ministry. He himself was ready to become the teacher. And so Jesus approaches the water and as he does, John the Baptist recognizes Jesus. And so John immediately insists that it's Jesus who actually should be baptizing John the Baptist. But Jesus is very firm that what he wants is to be obedient to his father. And so John agrees to baptize Jesus. Now that little conversation between John the Baptist and Jesus, it probably would have went unnoticed by most of the people. In fact, a lot of people probably just assumed that Jesus was an ordinary person getting baptized on that day. But what happened next was anything but ordinary because as John pulls Jesus out of the water after baptizing him, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and a dove came down from the sky. And if that wasn't crazy enough, a big loud voice boomed from heaven and said, this is my son who brings me great joy. And so the community has been buzzing ever since this crazy, unique baptism moment has happened in their community. Everyone in town is talking about it. They're talking about what just happened. And so this is where our story takes place on the very next day. And our passage is from John 1, starting in verse 35, and it says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. One of the disciples was named Andrew. As Jesus walked by, John looked at Jesus and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And it goes on to continue that what happens is they follow Jesus, and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with Jesus to the place where he was staying, and they chose to remain with him for the rest of the day. Now, I wonder how John the Baptist felt about that. See, in those days, teachers, or rabbis as they were often called, were very important, and they were highly respected. Their words held incredible weight for their students. See, they had that top position of influence in their students' lives. And here's the reality. His students, John the Baptist's students, in that moment, got up and left him in that very moment. At the beginning of the day, John the Baptist was their beloved teacher, who they had given up their very lives to follow. 
But by noon, their years of faithful dedication were over and they had jumped ship and were now following someone else. I find it so interesting how Andrew could be able to switch teachers in a single moment. Let's remember that Andrew had previously given up his entire life to become a disciple of John the Baptist. He likely had been traveling with him for a few years at this point. He was incredibly committed to him. But when John the Baptist announces that Jesus is the Lamb of God, what he is saying to his disciples is that Jesus is the main character here. What he's also saying is, guys, I'm just a minor character. Jesus is the main character in this story. And with that one sentence, John shifts their eyes from fixed on him to fixed on Jesus, the one who he had spent years teaching them to look for. And so immediately, Andrew decides to follow Jesus. You know what I think? I think John the Baptist must have been immensely proud of his disciples. His students in this moment had completed their discipleship journey with John the Baptist because they had become just like their teacher. They were willing to give up everything again to follow Jesus, the one that John the Baptist had always been teaching them to follow. And so in this moment, Andrew becomes Jesus's first disciple. Now, Andrew is not a well-known Bible character. His story is not dramatic. It's not awe-filled as some of the other characters in the Bible. Andrew's just a steady guy. He's a faithful guy, a background, no-nonsense, no-drama type of character. But in this moment, he becomes Jesus's first disciple, and that is an incredibly big thing because Andrew didn't have very big moments in his life. In fact, Andrew is only mentioned 12 times in the whole Bible, 12 times. And when you compare Andrew's mentions 12 times to his famous brother, who was named Peter, who was mentioned 235 times, 12 times, 235 times, you can start to gain a bit of an understanding of how minor of a character Andrew was. In fact, for those 12 times that Andrew is mentioned, nine of them referred to him as Peter's brother. If you've ever felt insignificant, kind of in the background, you probably can relate to that. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter, Andrew's brother. So Peter, first of all, he's one of the disciples. He's one of the 12 disciples. Peter is also named in Jesus's inner circle. He's one of Jesus's most trusted confidants. Peter was also the disciple who walked on the water. And Peter eventually becomes named the rock. And that means that Jesus is going to build his church on him. That eventually Jesus is going to name him as the leader of all of the 12 disciples when he's not there. And finally, in Peter's biggest claim to fame moment, Peter is the disciple who preaches at the day of Pentecost to thousands of people. And on that day, when Peter preaches in front of thousands of people, 3,000 people become followers of God. In one day, 3,000 people. Thousands and thousands of people are there and they're listening to Peter 
talk about who God is and what Jesus has done and how he can change their lives. And then those people go home and they share the information with their friends and their family and their friends and their family change their lives. Ripple after ripple after ripple. Hundreds of thousands of millions of people were impacted with the love of Jesus because Peter shared Jesus with a crowd on one day. You know, it's impossible to measure the impact of Peter's life. It's like a pebble that would be dropped into a pond. One circle turns to 10 circles, turns to 100 circles until you can't count those ripples any longer. See, you and I and every follower of God can trace our faith journey back to Peter's story. He made an incredible impact on the kingdom of God. The ripples in his life, they're immeasurable. They go past countries, decades, people group, people groups, to include you and include me and every future generation of Christians. Impactful, immeasurable. But even if you can't measure the impact of Peter's life, the starting point of Peter's life is traceable. Like the, the moment that a rock is dropped into the pond, we know exactly when that moment happened. The moment the ripple started in Peter's life is so obvious because it all started with his brother, Andrew. Let me show you. If we continue in our text, it says this. The first thing that Andrew did after spending time with Jesus was to go find his own brother, Peter. And Andrew told him, we have found the Messiah. And Andrew immediately led his brother to Jesus. You see, when Andrew ran down towards the lane on his way to home shouting, Peter, come with me, brother. I have found Jesus. Come with me. I am going to bring you to him. The ripple started. See, when Andrew brought his brother to come and meet Jesus, the Messiah, Andrew started a ripple effect that would eventually see thousands of hundreds of millions of people come to know who Jesus is. The truth is that because Andrew shared Jesus with his brother, years later, Peter would be able to share Jesus with thousands of other people. And thousands of years later, you and I might be known as followers of God. See, the big moments are often the ones we draw our eyes to, aren't they? The ones we label as being the most significant, the most impactful. Surely 3,000 people is bigger than one. Surely 3,000 people led to Jesus on a single day would trump sharing Jesus with your one brother. Certainly 3,000 is more than one. But as we look at both of these events today, I would argue that Andrew leading Peter to Jesus was integral to Peter eventually leading 3,000 people to Jesus. You see, the second moment at Pentecost could never have happened without the first, without Andrew running home to get his brother. See, in God's kingdom, one doesn't mean more than two. One can equal 3,000 or even more. Because significance looks different 
in the kingdom of God. In the church world, it's often so easy. Those upfront roles, it's often so easy to, to think that they carry more significance or more importance and more impact. But if Andrew's life teaches us anything, it would be that public recognition does not measure significance. You see, Andrew's life should challenge us to open our eyes to see what is happening behind the stage. What is happening that we might not always see? You know, Andrews are such a gift to our world. I like to think of them sometimes as backbone people. They're usually willing and able to provide incredible support without any recognition. Having pastored for a few years now, I've discovered that you can identify these people quickly because they're usually happy to serve wherever and be involved in whatever God is doing. Some of them will do this physically by supporting the work of the church. Backbone people do not need to be asked to be served or to help. They will walk into a room and they will jump in to serve in whatever way they are able to. They do not need a title or a position to serve. A few weeks ago, we were hosting a membership class. And on that day, it was great because we had so many more people join the class than we were actually expecting. It was wonderful to see so many people step up and say they were all in with us as a church and wanted to partner with our mission at One Church Geo. But it provided a little bit of a logistical problem for those who were joining our class physically as we didn't have enough tables or chairs that were set up in that moment as they started entering the room. Yet within seconds, I witnessed a bunch of Andrews jump in to help set things up, grab extra tables, grab extra chairs. How can I help was their motto that day. And they quickly set up the room to accommodate all of our in-room participants. And as a result, this fall, we are looking to welcome a large group of people into membership at One Church TO. It would not have been possible if we didn't have Andrews willing and able to help in any way. The other way I've noticed that these backbone people often serve is spiritually supporting the work of the church. They're committed to covering the church, the leaders, and the congregation in prayer daily. You know what, they feel this great responsibility to be faithful in this area. What a gift they are to us. How integral they are to our church family. I thank God that they are willing to serve and have such willing hearts. And you know what, because these Andrews and these backbone type people don't often get much recognition, and you know what, they probably wouldn't want the recognition I wanted to share with you today. A few places that you might find some backbone people serving at One Church Geo. Let me tell you about some of them. Today you might find them on our production team. This is Jeff Muir. He's our production team lead. He's a staff member that you probably won't see very regularly as, as others you would, but he truly is one of the backbones of our team. He and his production team, they ensure that each week thousands of people are impacted by the truth of who God is through our gathering moments. I'm so thankful for this team and the way they serve, whether they're behind the cameras or they're running the production booths or even turning on the lights so that we can see each other. Another part of the production team is our online hosts, volunteers who serve weekly online. And they work to build our community online, like in the chat room right now. 
They provide support in so many ways, and they're always ready to pray with people during our gathering moments. You know, you may not always see them, but they are so integral to what we do here at One Church TO. Now, if you've been in some of our in-person gatherings, you might have noticed a team that serves around our church, and they're wearing black shirts with security badges. This is our security team, and they serve in the background, ensuring that our physical space is safe and secure for everyone who is here. And I'm so thankful for their willingness to serve, not only in this area, but they're constantly jumping into other roles and helping in whatever way that they're able to. Another place you're going to find backbone people at One Church TO is on a weekday in our next-gen rooms. Did you know that we have a team of volunteers that show up weekly during the week to come and clean and sanitize all the toys at One Church TO so that our children will be, have ready toys ready to play with when they show up on the weekends. Now, you're likely never going to see this team serving because they serve on the weekdays and they serve in the backgrounds, but their contributions help make our space safe to open. We would never be able to open without them, and we would never be able to impact hundreds of children with the love of Jesus without their impact during our week. Another place that you'd find them serving is on our counting team. Now, our counting team shows up every week to count the offerings and the givings that come in to support the work of One Church TO. This time commitment that they give every single week allows us to continue impacting the world with the love of Jesus. And if that's not enough, Andrew's for you today. Let me tell you about a real life Andrew. This guy right here, that's Andrew. And he and his volunteer team, they run our food bank weekly, helping provide nourishment to our community. See, during the height of the pandemic, when we weren't even able to host a physical food bank, what they did was they gathered all the materials and they personally delivered them to the houses of the people who were dependent on the food bank so that they would have the food that they needed. This team's investment into our community is immeasurable. And I thank God for them. You see, these are the backbone people of our family, of our church family. And they represent so many more people who serve faithfully each week without recognition to share Jesus with the world. You know what? It's, it's sometimes easy to see the upfront roles. And I'm thinking of my role. I'm thinking of us pastors and us leaders who you see on the stage and in front of the camera. And don't get me wrong, I am so thankful for the gifts of leadership and communication that God has blessed our church with because we need them. But my hope is that the next time you see one of us teaching pastors on this stage, you would also recognize that there is an incredible team just behind the cameras and the curtains, helping thousands of people be impacted by the love of Jesus. You know what, I hope that the next time you're in our building, maybe dropping your kids off in the next-gen programs, which are run by the most fantastic group of next-gen staff and volunteers, I hope you would also see the cleaning team who shows up weekly to prepare those, roo those rooms. And I also hope that you would see the security team who makes sure that everyone is safe. The next time you're joining us online and you're welcomed by our friendly on-camera camera hosts, I pray you would also notice our online hosts who are in the chat room showing up each week and helping us build community in that chat room. And you know what, if you only remember one thing from this teaching, I pray that if you ever hear Peter's name 
again mentioned in a teaching or a sermon, that your mind would immediately recognize and remember Andrew's influence on Peter's life because Andrew is a model for each of us. He was determined to use his life to point others in the right direction. Instead of seeking the spotlight, Andrew steadfastly sought the mission, spread the good news, share Jesus, point everyone to the Messiah. See, Andrew's motto in life is how we all can make a big impact, whether we find ourselves on a stage or in the background. And Andrew's model is really simple. Share Jesus with others. See, recognition does not equal importance. Andrew's greatest contribution to the kingdom of God was sharing Jesus with one person. And as Andrew helped his brother recognize who Jesus was, he in turn helped share Jesus with hundreds of thousands of millions of people. The ripple that started when Andrew ran towards his brother shouting, come with me, I have found Jesus, has continued into 2022. I wonder today, as we get ready to close, who might you say those same words to this week? Come with me, I've found Jesus. Who in your life do you need to go back for? So often, us followers of Jesus, we live in a state of gratitude and we should because we're so thankful for what God has done in our lives. I'm so thankful for his love and his peace and his grace that he offers me. I'm so thankful for the things that he has saved me from. But often we forget that there are other people who do not know who Jesus is. A few years ago, I was outside and a neighbor stopped me, and this is a neighbor I know really, really well. I've spent lots of time with them. And they stopped and they said, hey, Jessica, could I ask you a question? I said, yeah, no problem. And they continued to ask, um, would it be okay if possibly we, uh, we just want to check out your church. Could we come with you uh, if that would be okay? If not, we totally understand, she followed up with. And later on, I asked her why she followed up with that. And you know what she said? She said she wanted to make sure it wasn't an inconvenience or if they weren't allowed to come. See, I was floored both that they wanted to come to church with us, but also they felt that they needed our permission. See, we had lived on the same street with these neighbors for years. We had talked about things of faith many times before, yet I had never verbally invited them to come to church with me. And I'll never forget that moment. It taught me something really profound. Sometimes people are just waiting for us to invite them for us to say, come with me. I wonder, is there a neighbor? Is there someone in your life that is waiting for an invitation? Is there someone in your life like my neighbor who is just dying to be invited to experience what a healthy church community can look like? Is there someone in your life who is struggling and needs an invitation to learn more about Jesus and who he is and how he can change their lives? If that's true, if you can think of someone, if you can't think of someone, I'd encourage you to begin by saying just a simple prayer. Who do I need to ask to come with me? God, who could I share Jesus with this week, this month, maybe this year? Who can I invite to join us for an online gathering or maybe come with me to an in-person gathering? Maybe join me with my small group or maybe attend Alpha with me. Who in my life has God positioned me to impact? What ripple effect can I be a part of starting 
that will have an impact on the generations that will follow. You know what, friends, God invites us to be involved in the work that he's already doing here on the earth. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He certainly doesn't need me. He didn't need Aaron. He didn't need Peter. He didn't even need John the Baptist. But he invites us to partner with him to impact the world, to share himself with others so that we can be a part of that ripple effect that Andrew experienced. The truth is that we have no idea the impact that one single conversation will have. We have no idea on the impact that one single coffee date might bring. We have no idea on the impact that one simple invitation can have on our world and into eternity. The truth is that when Andrew said, come with me, he wasn't thinking about thousands who would come to Jesus in the future. At that moment, Andrew was just thinking about Peter, the brother who he loved, who needed to know who Jesus was. And so when God puts someone on your heart, when you feel that nudge maybe to go talk to someone, whether you're in the store or at the kid's school or at workplace or even on your street, when you feel that nudge to invite somebody to a gathering or, or send them a part of one of our gathering moments, when you feel the Holy Spirit say, talk to that person, I'd encourage you, be quick to obey. Be quick to reach out with a quick text, a quick call, a quick wave to a neighbor, or just a simple conversation. Because all we really need to do ever is say, I know who Jesus is. Why don't you come with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for examples like Andrew. For examples like Andrew, who was in the background, God. For examples like Peter, who, who served you really well, God. For examples like John the Baptist, who paved the way for other people. God, I thank you that you remind us that we are called to be faithful with the things that you have asked us to do. Would you bring to mind people who maybe need to be invited to experience who you are? And God, when you put those names on our heart, in our mind, would you grant us the boldness to start a conversation with them. Thank you, God, that you can use us to make a big impact on their lives and in the generations to come. And God, I want to thank you. I want, we are so grateful for the Backbone Church family members at One Church TO. We're so thankful that we are part of a church family that you have blessed with significant contributions, God. People willing to use their gifts and talents to build your kingdom. Would you bless them today, God? Would you bless them for their service, God? We are so grateful for them, God. And would you help us all to grow in this area? Would you help us to be willing to jump in and serve and partner with whatever you are doing in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and in our world? God, I thank you that you can take our actions, whether they're big or whether they're small, and you can multiply them to have a significant impact in your kingdom. Thank you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.